This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Saving America's Cities, a tried and proven plan to revive stagnant and decaying cities, and the author, David McDonald. And David joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, David. How are you? Well, this is going to be an exciting conversation. You have certainly opened a lot of eyes, and uh, there's a lot of interest in your book, uh, because this is literally revolutionary. Uh, I want to read just some of the things you've written about your book. You say, this book is about my observations of the history of decaying cities, as well as solutions to enable these cities to once again become healthy and vibrant. It is about what caused the decay, the history of urban flight and of what cities have done wrong, and what they could actually do right and what they could actually do right to start the process of recovering what they have lost. Well, that's a mouthful, and you've got a lot of experience. Tell us why you wrote the book, David. Um, it, it, frustration with the city that I love, that I live in, uh, that I see doing a lot of the mistakes that I have seen for the past four decades. Um, I have spent 38 years at this point founding two retail chains, co-founding two other retail chains. I've been head of development for one of the largest real estate investment trusts in the country. I've, I've directed the strategic growth initiative of 13 retail chains. I've been in commercial lending and appraising, and I've managed a high-rise office building in downtown Charlotte. And in the mid-'70s, uh, I was flying around in a Cessna 402 looking at cities from rooftops. And if we saw enough rooftops, we'd send someone back to the city to get the retail store, restaurant, entertainment venue, whatever it was, out of the core of the city and into the suburbs. Because what happened to cities was that with the advent of shopping malls, everything went out to the malls. And then it was followed by restaurants, and then it was followed by entertainment, and then the office buildings moved out, and then municipalities were formed. And that's the, the advent of the mall is what really created all of this. And so during, in the process of moving all of these retailers out of cities, I saw what cities did to try to save themselves. And normally, they all did the same thing. They all made the same mistakes and year after year. And so I come to, to my hometown and I see them doing the same things, and uh, it's frustrating, but I don't pay much attention. I'm busy. I'm doing other things. I don't think anyone needs my opinion, and after a while, um, I'm doing a lecture on entrepreneurship, and someone asks me about the city, and so I start talking, and they seem interested, and they keep me over 45 minutes to talk about it, so I think to myself, well, maybe someone's interested. So I start writing... Uh, articles for the um, Dayton Business Journal. And the first article was, Are You Ready to Save Dayton? Well, I got about 300 emails, all good. I had about 28 to 30 businessmen that I'd never met want to take me to lunch just to meet me. So I wrote two more articles. And, and, and I think this is not me. This is just there is no vision out there, no workable vision of truly how to save a city. So I was working on my fourth article for the journal, which was mechanically how to start the process of saving a city, and I couldn't do it in 700 words. So I said, I think I'm going to write a book. So, and here it is. Well, congratulations. Uh, obviously, to publish anything is, a, is an incredible accomplishment, but this sounds like uh, much needed. It's timely. Uh, you have a statistic that is uh, very alarming. You say of the largest 300 cities in the United States, roughly 183 or 61% are in a state of decline. Now, obviously, that's very sobering, but not surprising. If we travel into downtowns, we kind of see it, don't we? You do. You, you, you see it everywhere. And, uh, and of course, that's just the largest 300. And 
the larger the city is, the more the chance it has to be successful. And so just imagine the next 300 down, you'd, find, you'd probably find that the statistics were even worse for those. Well, this is, I'm sure, uh, something that doesn't happen overnight. So how does a city take a real honest, make an uh, honest evaluation of where they're at? Because obviously you've got politics here, you've got business interests, you've got money, uh, uh, big-time money <laughs> involved. I mean, how does a city get a hold of itself and say, we've got to do something different? Um, well, the fact is, so far... They haven't. Not a single one that's in decay, not really. Now, there have been some successful cities that have stumbled and then come back. And the difference is every single successful city is either a capital city town, and of course there you've got an infusion of cash from from the large number of government employees. You have more institutions of higher learning and you have more corporate headquarters because a lot of corporations want to be located at the, the seat of government for their state. So no one can compete with a capital city town, but all the rest, they're either on an ocean, they're ski resorts, there's something very, very special that makes them successful. It is not elected official, and it is not concerned citizen groups. Um, and, th- and the significance of that point is that concerned citizen groups from these decaying cities for five decades, they've all been doing it, will go to a successful city, and they don't really know what they're looking at. You know, let's say they go to a capital city town that's got these huge infusions of money, and, and uh, they say, well, the arts look successful, or um, we need to go after the creative class because it appears to be doing well here. And they don't realize what they're looking at, and so they go back and try to duplicate something in their cities that they have no ability to duplicate. And so they waste years of time and effort and money trying to do things that won't work, and therefore they're not focusing on the things that can work. Cincinnati has, been, has accomplished this, you say, by accident. They have. What, what works? Is that you? And 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 you've you, and and part of the question you asked me, I didn't answer, which was, in effect, how do you work with, get around, whatever, all the elected officials, egos, the fiefdoms that exist in the city, and the answer is nobody has yet, and it's very difficult to do, and as best I can tell, there's only one way to do it, uh, and that is, you have to have large corporations, the CEOs of large corporations, lead the charge. Why them? because elected officials won't buck them. And the elected officials will tend to get out of the way because of the perceived power that this group has. So then what happens is the elected officials then think about it, and they circle around and they join back in with the corporate leaders because they want to get part of the credit. And then the corporate leaders have to form an economic development group. Now let me say that every city's got multiple economic development groups but they're typically led by the wrong kind of people, and they have no vision of what really works. And so they, they form this group. They do a search. They hire a sophisticated developer to lead it. What has taken everything out of the cities for 50 years is sophisticated developers. You want to start the process of bringing it back, you've got to hire sophisticated developers. And once they do that, once you've got the, C, the CEOs of the largest corporations and the politicians and you've got the right kind of economic development group who can then start working with the concerned citizen groups to hopefully push them in the right direction of what they're doing, then you stand a chance of, 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 of saving your city. And there are only four things that will save a city, and they seem extremely simplistic, and they are not. And let me name them, and then I'll tell you why it is not simplistic. You have to keep the businesses you've got, you have to bring in new businesses. You have to keep the residents you've got, and you have to bring in new residents. Saying it would seem obvious to virtually anybody. The problem is nobody ever does it, hardly. They go after low-hanging fruit. They build parks, monuments, bypass. They, they, they construct pedestrian malls in their downtowns. In 50 years, none of that's worked. In 50 years, none of the uh, think tank consultants, 
no architects, no engineers, no elected officials has ever saved a city. Not even close. They're on the wrong track to really save the city. And so this is a way that when the cities have done it, it has worked every time that I can find. You have listed in your book the Ten Commandments for Stabilizing and Growing Your City. So here is the the uh, plan. Is that what we're looking at here, of what to that, do? That's it. It is an absolute mechanical plan of, it's not just that I say you have to form an economic development group. Here are the types of people that you need in that group, and here is specifically what they do. And I have even listed the, the, the executive search firms that are probably the best to utilize to go after the head of your frontline action group. This is not fluff. Uh, there, these are um, what really happened to cities, and here are the statistics. Here is the truth about regionalization, which virtually nobody understands. And here, here are examples of the cities who have done it right. And here, here is exactly the way that it needs to be put together to ensure success. Well, just off um, the top of my head, as a person who's just kind of standing on the sidelines here, listening to you and, and trying to understand uh, the big vision of this, uh, boy, there's come, uh, some some thinking in the ideas of the regular citizen that's really got to change because everything says outside the city, like you were saying. How do you change that behavior? How do you change that way of thinking? Well, if you don't, um, the cities will just continue to decay. And unfortunately, that will probably be the case with some. We, we can only hope that, that, a, that a few people will, will look at this they will look at beyond this to the examples that I present of where it has worked and take it to heart. There are only two states in the United States that over the last nine years are losing population, North Dakota and Louisiana. So if you're a city in one of those states, maybe you've got an excuse. But if you are in any of the other 48 states and you're in a city and the city is losing population, it's the city's fault because their states are gaining. Well, here your book isn't uh, totally ready for uh, distribution, is it? It's ready. Uh, it's out there. It'll probably be, I understand, another 25, 30 days till it's on Amazon and Borders, mm -hmm. but it can easily be ordered today through Author House. You just go on the Author House website, go to the bookstore, and in the, in the space put in Saving America's Cities, and you can order hardback, softback or electronic version and of course in these early days it's uh, very different to uh, already have created interest at uh, the national level you've already had interest from uh, the, the uh, people who surround newt gingrich um the the um i, I received um uh, two uh, pre-publication proof copies and the first one uh, I hand-delivered to Newt Gingrich, and um, the second one is um, it being hand-delivered to the Gates Foundation, as in Bill Gates, this Friday. Um, one of the uh, political parties in uh, my county has already picked up this book and is requiring all of their elected officials and all of their candidates to sign off that they will promote the visions of this book. And... Um, there is already, um, I can't say much about it, but there's already uh, some significant um, interest in, in the Dayton region in, um, in this concept, and, and, and that is moving forward at this time. So since the book has just been, been out for about two days, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled with where I am so far. Well, definitely, and congratulations again. Uh, we have about a, a minute left. Uh, give us some closing thoughts. More and more federal and state governments are, are growing their already out-of-control financial problems, and therefore cities are on their own more and more to, to sink or swim. And um, none of them have succeeded to any degree whatsoever in reviving themselves 
and um, I hope I hope they'll I hope they'll take a look at this because uh, it's not just me; it's the examples, and and every example out there I can find has worked. Do you have a website? Uh, the, the, the website, uh, it's uh, savingamericascities.com, but you're going to have to give me about two weeks. Um, the name is reserved, but we, we are, we, it's under construction. Well, very good. We can go to that. And, and uh, just uh, people can order through Author House, and it won't be long, where you can uh, go to any retail online bookstore and order Saving America Cities. Right, David? That's it. Well, we appreciate you being on Author Talk, David. Uh, very interesting. Uh, boy, it's such a need, definitely, uh, as we look at America and we look at our decaying cities. So congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. David McDonald, the author of Saving America's Cities, a tried and proven plan to revive stagnant and decaying cities. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Hey, you living the dream like Nina and Cindy? Were you shocked by the Chuck E. Cheese calamities, diaper dilemmas, and major mom minivan mishaps? Then get ready to share it with Living the Dream Moms with Nina Fry and Cindy Schmitzer, Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. And as Nina and Cindy say, if you're thinking it, we're saying it. It's your chance to discuss, share, and learn from two moms who have been there, done that, and got the t-shirts. Check out their website, ltdchix.com. Living the Dream Moms is all about all things moms have to deal with daily. Nina and Cindy are two ordinary frazzled moms who admit when they need help and do their best to research and discuss topics that are not always talked about. Living the Dream Moms are just two real women who are discussing the trials and tribulations and triumphs of everyday mom lives. You are not alone. It's Living the Dream Moms with Nina Fry and Cindy Schmitzer. Thursday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion is helping others discover, create, and live their personal brands. Yep, you heard me. You have a brand. No different than Coke, Pepsi, or Nike. You are a walking, talking, living, breathing brand. You're not a logo. You're not a tagline. The choices you make become the path you take. This is your brand. Now, live your story. Your brand is not just what you say it is. It's also what others say it is. So what are you communicating? And how can you create an authentic brand? We'll take on these challenges with What's Your Story? Every week, Hillary will feature teens, moms, and organizations that are learning and living their story. Now, her passion is to help others discover, create, and live their personal brands. To find out more, go to inspiredbyfamily.com. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Pranayama, Converting Stress and Anxiety into Inner Joy. The Illustrated Guide to Mind-Body Response. And the author is Ravinder Jareth. And Dr. Jareth joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, doctor. How are you? Very Hello. good. Trying not to be too stressful here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's yeah. fascinating to me when you say you can convert stress and anxiety into inner joy. And you have an interesting Probably to many people sounds just too simplistic, and yet it works. We're talking about how we breathe, aren't we? Yes. And how breathing can really reduce, if we breathe in a very precise way, can help us reduce stress and insomnia, anxiety, depression, lack of concentration. Tell us how this works. We have to first... Uh understand that uh, this can be achieved if you do only about 20 minutes of breathing exercise in the morning. Um, most people who have done meditation uh, know that this is how they do in the morning, but 
with pranayam you can turbocharge your meditation relaxation response simply put in the morning you have to sit straight um, and close your eyes away from any sounds lights or talk and concentrate on your breathing and relaxing yourself the simple phenomena of breathing deep does to you is an amazing amount of change that it brings in your body it uh, coordinates um the breathing with your heart and your heart with your brain and back from your brain to your heart this response is very fast very quick and within seconds to minutes it starts to form a yoga between the heart and the brain and your breathing this uh, if continued over a period of time about 20 minutes it will bring an enormous change in the way the energy flows in your system a lot of studies have been done where just breathing about 6 times a minute in humans will slow their heart rate down the blood pressure down and cause uh, changes in their brain waves that amount to a relaxation response now you use the phrase so, energy flows uh, elaborate on that energy flows yes what uh, is happening in a live human individual who has breathing has a heartbeat and brain waves is a flow of energy from the brain to the body and that is uh caused by a breathing movement by heart uh, beating and by the already happening brain waves in the in the in the brain these um energy waves are electrical waves that are in existence in in anyone who who is breathing and and uh, is living uh, what we do is uh, we do not understand this mind and body response and therefore we are not utilizing its enormous power um when we take a deep breath um it produces uh, currents electrical currents the cells from the lungs produce these currents and they go straight to the heart and then also they go to the brain and when they do that um it creates a circuit between the heart lung and brain which ultimately also goes to every cell in the body and when we do it slowly and deeply the currents are much stronger and this association uh between the lungs heart and the brain becomes stronger when these currents are strong and on this subject i wrote an article 3 years ago which was published in a peer review journal called mechanism of mind body response through pranayam and in this article i brought in 60 articles that proved flow of this energy that is at the basic mechanism between the two parts of your bodies that is the brain and body and simply put if we use this power of energy production by your lungs when it's done slowly and deeply about 6 breaths a minute or or lower than that it coordinates the energy flow in a direction that is positive and it becomes stronger if we do it uh, repetitively about 100 breaths or more in one sitting so 100 breaths in about 20 minutes yes And this is power you're talking about to treat anxiety, insomnia, addiction, depression. Uh that's obviously uh something that everybody wants to reduce or get rid of this this uh stress of life. And 
We often overlook the simplicity of the way the body works, don't we? Yes, we we do. We don't uh, utilize that as um, it, 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 we don't understand the basic mechanism, and we don't therefore concentrate on what it can do. And uh, and uh, you, you know, we take a life in a stride uh, without using this uh, energy and potential that we all have. And you've been practicing medicine for, uh, what, since 1981? You've been delivering babies. You're now a practicing gynecologist. Uh, did you, have you just seen this need in your patients and just started encouraging people to do this? Absolutely. Um, I am a physician who I, I deal on a daily basis with women who have such um, issues as uh, anxiety or insomnia and uh, uh, depression Um, and I have treated many of them over the last several years. Um, These examples are about 10 of them are in the book which uh, uh, illustrate uh, various aspects of a a patient's uh, history and their response to the treatment I've uh, recommended to them. And uh, I see very often uh, patients who come in because um, of uh, issues in the family for financial issues or issues of uh, separation, divorce, being a single mother. And almost always I've noticed that they are stressed and would like to have antidepressant medications, uh, tranquilizers, sleeping pills. And uh, I found that that was not the uh, right way to treat them because they are dependent on those medications, they can get addicted to them, and it really does not go to the heart of the problem. And I've had fairly good success by recommending um, breathing exercises, pranayama, and also physical exercises to them. And I find that this is workable, simple, yet very effective treatment. Well, that's very exciting to hear the success. You talk about the connection between the mind-body and the emotional self, the origin of emotions. Now, that sounds rather complex, but at the same time, it's a real connection. And what you're doing, it sounds like, is you're taking the physical into that emotional realm and you're using the physical in a very simple way. And it certainly has the, uh, the effect that, that everybody wants. Very true. Um, the, the essential components are that uh, when we do sit down, we do pranayama, that is slow, deep breathing, we also must pray. Uh, It does not have to be a same uh, higher power. It could be any higher power that a person believes in. So it does not have the religious component uh, that is same for everyone. It could be any belief they have. But having a a thought process where we imagine this universe created by a superhuman force that we bring to our mind and then we have a heartfelt gratefulness for this creation and what we have while we are taking deep breaths slowly is the most essential component of pranayama and it has profound effect once we bring that heartfelt thinking process in us and we take deep breath, that it leads us to a, almost a whole day of relaxation response. A response where we go through the day without undue stress. And if we do find stress, we deal with it with a positive outlook, with a an outlook that gives us... Um, Courage gives us strength and with joyful feelings. And our response to them is positive. Our colleagues, our patients, our clients, family, everyone appreciates the new you get 
from from this process of prayer. So this is the kind of experience that takes practice. We need to learn from doing. Absolutely. And for those who are skeptical about this practice, uh, they should read three of the articles that I have listed in this book, which uh, pertain to how deep breathing is associated with a immediate slowness in heart rate, a drop in blood pressure. And uh, numerous studies have shown that this um, mind-body response that uh, is unleashed by deep breathing um, will will create a calm mind, uh, will create uh, a physiology within the body where uh, you get a, a relaxation response. So practice is important, but they might see some effects happen faster than even a few days. Well, it's clear to you as you write that the brain needed lungs to correct our abnormal state of mind. We often, of course, it's real simple that we know we need our lungs to breathe just to be alive, but you take it to the next level that it literally, the brain needed lungs to correct our abnormal state of mind. Absolutely. It's like a flywheel. Um, we don't realize, um, unless we look at the gears, that is number one, two, three, four, five, six, or the, the uh, number six gear in the car. But once you put it in, you cruise uh, on, a, on, a, on a level of uh, auto uh, speed that uh, we don't think anymore about. In the same way, when in the morning we start this process of pranayam, um, this leads us to a, the best gear of uh, breathing movement that we have. And it continues. We don't even have to think about it the rest of the day. If we start um, by 15 to 20 minutes of breathing, uh, exercise, um, and uh, a meditation process in the morning. You have a website where we can learn more. Tell us where that is. It's uh, www.com mindbodyresponse.com This website uh, has uh, unique contents of uh, a video presentation of this process. Uh, There are five videos. Uh, One of the videos shows uh, how we have stress. It shows where uh, the brain in the occipital region uh, shows stress. It goes into the limbic system and from brain to the heart, lungs. The colors flow with, the, with a 3D demonstration. And one can understand that the stress is a, a abnormal heart, lung, and, and brain response that we don't really realize when we are going through it that it has already started to cause an abnormal energy flow. Now, all it needs is correction of the way that we breathe, the way we imagine. And together, um, I have shown a video on this website where we can see how the mind becomes clear, how the yoga exercises from breathing leads us to a calm and quiet mind. so there are two videos on that aspect. Well, and that, then there are other videos that show the step-by-step uh, response of different areas of the brain along with that of the heart and lungs, how energy flows, changes uh, the way we have our physiology. Um, it's a synopsis or a summary of a complex process into visual 3D animation that I believe uh, should help anyone understand the nuts and bolts of what stress is and what what the pranayama is. Well, Doctor, we appreciate you being on Author Talk. Of course, our listeners can get your book through authorhouse.com. 
I'm sure they can order the book right there at your website. Yes, uh, they can, and uh, also there's a link uh, from my website where they can send me questions uh, if they have any, uh, and I can uh, address them specific questions. Uh, I will also love to hear their comments uh, because in this writing a first book, I have tried to write it um, to the best of my ability, yet uh, I like to see my readers uh, feedback to me as to what improvement they would like to see and what questions they have that I could address that I have not. So it gives me a platform to to continue to improve what I'm writing and talking about. Well, the website, again, is mindbodyresponse.com. Dr. Jareth, thank you for being on Author Talk. Thank you for inviting me and asking me to interview on this subject. That was Dr. Ravinder Jareth. He is the author of his book, Pranayama, Converting Stress and Anxiety into Inner Joy, The Illustrated Guide to Mind-Body Response. Dr. Jareth is also donating any profits from the sale of his book to a nonprofit foundation in his father's name for people who don't have medical insurance. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on Toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. The American Rock and Roll Countdown with Alex Price. So where were you in the 1970s? Well, this Saturday morning, we're going to flash back to the 70s as we count down the classic hits with the American Rock and Roll Countdown. You'll hear news and information and stories about the artist and what was going on during the specific week that we highlight. So be sure to join us at 9 o'clock Eastern Standard Time this Saturday on Toginet for the American Rock and Roll Countdown. The American Rock and Roll Countdown on Toginet. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. Helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Enlightenment, is Letting Go, Healing from Trauma, Addiction, and Multiple Loss. And the author is Teresa Nasiba Marsh. And Teresa joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Teresa. Oh, hello, Steve. Good to have you with us. I'm going to read a few things that you have written about your book. You say, this book will appeal to any person who has suffered trauma, addiction, and multiple loss. Also, to anyone who is seeking to heal from these kinds of conditions. This book will also appeal to healthcare professionals, students, and the general public. You also say, life is difficult. Life can present us with deep challenges such as hurt, pain, loss, and suffering. But we can heal when we find the courage and strength and love that resides in all of us. Anything that is loved can be healed. So a message of hope even when there's so much pain. Well, tell us a little bit about your background to begin with uh, and why you wrote the book, Teresa. It was, um, I guess, the night of 9-11 really shook us all. At that time, I was working as a manager of a substance abuse program for African, Canadian, and Caribbean youth, um, Sacrecy in um, Toronto, um, and I also had a small private practice called Tunzium Pefumlo, where I mainly worked with clients that have uh, suffered trauma and also um, healing from addictions. 
And uh, that night when I came home, my youngest daughter was at home and I found her glued to the TV. And uh, she shouted, have you seen, have you seen? When I looked into her eyes, I saw the same eyes I saw when I was in Cape Town, South Africa during the riots. The terror and the fear. And I realized that she was traumatized because those images were played over all day long. And um, I had to take her aside and I talked to her and turned the TV off. But during the course of the day, too, I had so many calls with young people just having meltdowns, watching um, the horrific events um, replayed on television. And I realized, yes, indeed, we can get traumatized um, by seeing it, but also in seeing it in that way. And so um, when everything was quiet that night, it was very late. You know, I just went into my quiet space and my healing space, and I prayed, and then the gift came from my ancestors and inspiration. And um, I decided to write this book, to write this book as a gift to the world and to my clients, um, to help people and show people that, yes, indeed, we can heal. And the very next day, after I saw a client in my office who was also going through a difficult time and we were doing deep trauma work and uh, she was having a meltdown because of what happened um, the day before. And uh, when she left my office, I sat down and as I um, was writing notes about her, I started writing a poem about what just happened, about her hurt and about her pain. And then I was continued to be inspired. It just um, poured from my heart and from my soul. I just kept on writing. And I started writing a second poem. And the second poem was me, my voice, um, supporting her and holding her. Um, and I knew exactly when I was done. And when that same kind came the next week, I, uh, I read the poem both poems to her, and uh, something profoundly happened, something profoundly shifted. Um, there was healing. She realized that, as she said, you get it. You know what I'm feeling inside. And uh, I realized that this was another way of helping people heal, not just through their storytelling, but also um, through the spoken word, through poetry and through sharing that with them. Well, you say that the entire universe is, you know, all the people are facing darkness greater than ever in the making of history. And every day as a nation, we are traumatized. And there has to be healing, or I guess it could be damaging for life, right? No, absolutely. And uh, as I said, you know, when I, um, when I heard that morning, I, I was in a meeting about the um, the twin towers and 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 what really um, happened there, I realized as a as a traumatologist uh, and 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 as a healer, I realized that um, uh, firstly somebody, any human being, that would have that kind of courage to go in there to sacrifice their life, and not just sacrifice their life in the way they did it. And, um, you know, uh, kill so, so many, many people. Um, there must be a very, very, very deep and dark trauma there to be able to do that. And um, I realize that uh, as long as we are traumatized and as long as, uh, as we uh, have the inability to, to let go of this trauma, we will hurt ourselves. And we will hurt others, and we will hurt others at the level of hurt that happened that particular day. Well, you say that you've seen it all. You lived, you were born, I guess, and raised in Cape Town, South Africa. You, were, you call yourself being born into violence. And you've seen police open fire on children in South Africa. And How were you healed? How did this all come about that gave you the healing and the strength? Um, if I if I go back um, earlier on, 
um, to my childhood, I know that I was always very much connected um, to nature. Uh, when I felt scared, when I felt uh, fearful, I, I used to go and find a place maybe at the back of the house, you know, in the garden. Um, I would um, look at the plants, I would look at the soil, and sometimes I would even take my fingers and just put it into the earth, into Mother Earth. And I think at a very young age I realized that we are connected to nature and that nature is a huge um, healing balm. Um, but um, in 1992, I decided to leave South Africa as a single mom with my three um, teenage children. And I left because of the violence and um, came to Canada because I really wanted to heal and uh, realized that it would take a very, very, very long time for um, the atrocities and the, and the pain and the hurt and the losses that happened in South Africa um, it will take a long time for that really um, to to um, to heal. And um, when I came to Canada, I met uh, my my healer, a psychiatrist, Dr. Hannah Walensky, and I started my healing journey in her office. And if I want to describe my healing journey, my healing journey was about the telling of my story, or the telling of my stories around what I've seen as a child, how I grew up, how I grew up in an apartheid regime, what that meant to me and how it affected me as a young child and how it affected me to see how people were treated. We were, we were thrown off beaches and we were told by police that that's a white beach and you are black. I've seen older women wanting to go to a, to a, a washroom where there's whites only on there and they couldn't go in there. And uh, when I say I have seen it all, that is what I am uh, really talking about. And uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a nurse. Uh, I did my training at Hudiskia Hospital. I have seen white wards and black wards, and I've seen white nurses and black nurses, and I have seen the difference in how white patients were treated and how black patients were treated. But in the midst of it all, as, as time evolved and as things changed, I also saw those changes. I was also one of the nurses who began to, to take away that and to begin to integrate people as one. So, um, so when I say I've seen it all, I've seen uh, the police open fire in 1976 riots um, um, when they told the media they were re uh, using... Um, rubber bullets, they were actually using um, real bullets. I was a nurse at that time working in a surgical unit and I saw those kids coming in. I saw the holes that blew, um, that were blown into their bodies. And um, I have seen an ambulance door being opened up and uh, uh, young kids being certified DOA dead on delivery. That's when I mean when I've seen it all, I have seen it all. But the hope is, and really the bottom line here is, that people can heal. It takes, as you put it, hard work, and you have to commit to the process. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as I said, when I started my healing journey, uh, Steve, I had no idea that a human being can repress so many hurtful and painful things. Because once you start the telling of your story, you begin... You begin the healing process there because, one, you are not alone most of the time when people are traumatized, whether they are sexually abused or whether it's molestation and that. Most of the time these things are done with you, maybe without a witness. It just happened to you. And there's changes that take place in the brain and also in the body and the mind and the spirit. And so when you start your healing journey, you have somebody there who is listening, who is gentle and kind and who can hear you and who can support you and who can tell you, I understand it really happened to you. Because often when we, we, when we, um, we are abused, uh, we uh, uh, sometimes say, no, it didn't really happen to me or it wasn't really that bad. But we carry that pain and we carry that hurt within us. And how do we know as clinicians and and as trauma therapists that somebody has been traumatized is we see how 
um, they treat themselves, they hurt themselves, they reenact the trauma. And so if you have that place, safe place where you can um, tell your story, and as you begin to tell your story and it unfolds, you begin to see that it's, it is the hurt and it is the pain, but that you yourself is still there and you yourself, you are still whole. And as you release the pain and as you release um, the wounds and if you release the past memories and you let it go, those wounds begin to heal and you begin to feel better and you begin to take better care of yourself and you begin, yeah, and you begin to love yourself and you begin to realize you are not your wounds, but you are a very, very special person, a very, very special um, human being. Teresa, we've got a couple minutes left. Your book is also filled with examples of real people dealing with real trauma and creating real healing. Yes, um, I, I, de- I decided to, um, to, u- to, u- to utilize real stories and, 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 real, and real people. And I tell this story, whether it is through poetry, whether it is through the storytelling I take the readers through different parts and usually starting off when they came to see me for the first time and what that first session looked like and then take them to different sessions and also show them different ways of, of, of healing, for example, through meditation, um, through yoga, um, through storytelling, um, through being there, through being with. And one of the most profound things is teaching people to watch their mind in action, listen to all the chitter-chatter, the negativity, and the stuff that the wounds and past traumas still tell us about ourselves, how to shift that, how to change that, and, um, and, and also how to take um, care of themselves in the, in the process. What we're talking about here, everyone, is that Teresa has created, as she puts it, new patterns of healing and transformation. Well, Teresa, this book is filled with hope, but it also is very specific in that this trauma and addictions and the sufferings is all real, but at the same time, people can overcome that trauma and addiction, and the suffering, and they can literally change their lives. So we really appreciate you being on Author Talk and sharing this with us. Tell us how to get your book. Um, well, you can uh, go directly online. You can order it directly. Um, um, if you go onto uh, my website, um, com, you can go to Author House. You can order it through... Um, through chapters, through Indigo, through um, uh, um, Amazon, um, Barnes and Nobles, um, um, any any way way online, I think you can you can order the book. Thank you, Teresa. Thanks for being on Author Talk. Thank you, thank you, Steve. That was Teresa Nasaba Marsh. She is the author of her book, Enlightenment is Letting Go. Healing from trauma, addiction, and multiple loss.